Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Red Pillar HealthCast. My name is Dr. Charlie Fagenholtz, and here with everyone's favorite nurse practitioner, Lauren Johnson. And we have a guest on today that we kind of go way back a little bit in the state of California before we moved to Tennessee. Um, and Lauren has become good friends with her over social media, the, the magic of social media, one of the pros. Um, and we have Dr. Lee Aaron Keneally. Now, she has the largest integrative clinic known as Center for New Medicine in Southern California, but it's the largest in North America. And we're going to be talking about her story, what got her into medicine. And then we're going to jump into a little bit of cancer and the rates and her take on what's going on. So Dr. Leanna Keneally, thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to see your face. It's been a while since I've seen you. Um, and talk to the people about just your journey, what got you into doing the amazing work that you do, because we all know that everyone in this realm is here because of our personal experiences. Right. That's correct. So started a long time ago. I was born in the 50s and I'm number three of six children. And my mother started bleeding. And so she went to the doctor and you know, told her story. And then um, the doctor said, okay, we have a medicine that we can give you to prevent the bleeding and stop miscarriage. So anyway, um, she took the medication and, you know, the bleeding stopped and so forth and had me. And then 14, 15 years later, um, my parents received a letter stating that she took a drug called DES, diethylstilbestrol, and that was a drug used for approximately 40 years uh, to stop bleeding and prevent miscarriage in pregnancy. And so then the letter stated that, oh, we have um, an increase in cancer in both male and female offspring of those children who were administered in utero DES from their mother. And also, was it not just cancer, it was hormone problems, anatomical problems, uh, infertility problems, all kinds of things. And so I grew up in Houston, Texas. And so they said, oh, you need to go to a major cancer institute. And then I was that that institute was MD Anderson. So I started as a young girl, started going to MD Anderson. And because it was a teaching institution, and because this discovery was new of the side effects of this drug, everybody wanted to see the patients and see, you know, what happened and what was their, you know, anatomical, like, is it because some people had two uteruses and all kinds of things. And so anyway, so I started going to MD Anderson with 12 people in my exam room, you know, doing colposcopies and biopsies and all kinds of things. And so um, it was interesting because I babysat for a lady doctor. And so I thought when I was working for her, I thought, oh, I think I can become a medical doctor. I love sciences and I was good at sciences. And so I went to college getting my degree in biology. And then I went to UT School of Public Health to get my master's in public health. And then um, I never had two periods in a row in my whole life. Okay. And so I, when I was young, I, you know, I had a period maybe once a year. And then when I went to medical school, they said, oh, okay, you know, I finally went to see someone 
And um, the doctor said, oh, you just go on birth control pills. Well, I didn't know any better. And so I went on birth control pills, which really changed my forever. I mean, I was not the same person after going on birth control pills. Anyway, so I stopped using birth control pills. And fortunately, I found natural progesterone, which saved my life. And back then, um, I they didn't have progesterone like in pills. I had to use injections of natural progesterone and oil. So I would literally give myself a progesterone injection um, every five days because the shot lasted about five days. And so I kind of tried to create a menstrual cycle for myself uh, because creating a 28 to 30 day cycle. So I've had lots of detours and curveballs because of the DES. And fortunately, I grew up um, very naturally. My mother nursed us all, never used a jar of baby food. You know, we ate sauerkraut, we ate liver, we ate things, all the things that are fashionable today. That's how <laughs> I grew up. So, um, but when I started practicing 37 years ago in Los Angeles, I met a doctor who was an internist and pathologist, and he started teaching me all of these things about the body and about hormones and about like everything and weight loss and how to help people with weight loss. And so years ago, I started my first medical practice with advertising about weight loss. And I was personally interested in it because when I was younger, my girlfriend and I, we would share food journals and um, which is kind of a thing today, you know, um, but we shared food journals. And back then they didn't have computers and all that, but we had little those little calorie counter books. You know, uh, you guys are probably too young to even know that. But they had these little calorie counter books and I would, you know, I would look and look up the calorie of everything. And my girlfriend and I helped each other be accountable by doing food journals, because when I would have it was very interesting because I would have these crazy cycles of just complete, I call it, they call it an ovulatory, you know, periods where you would just stay in this high estrogen state because I never had a rhythm like a normal woman, you know, she has her period for five, three to five, seven days, then she ovulates and then she has the rest of her cycle, which is the, um, you know, post ovulation part of the cycle. So I kind of lived very crazy. And I say that because I remember in medical school, I would read the same page 10 times. Like, what did I read? Because your hormones are the natural drugs to your body. And they create this incredible orchestra of things that are supposed to take place in your body. And of course, I didn't know what I know now. And, and I was like, here, I'll try this, try that, managing symptoms all the time until I found progesterone, which completely balanced myself out that I would do 15 days off, 15 days on. And I created my own cycle just because I knew, I mean, I was a doctor, so I knew how to manage it. If you went to doctors, you know, doctors just want to put you on birth control. Well, birth control does not solve your natural cycle, right? It just puts, it stops your own natural cycle. You're taking a synthetic estrogen and progesterone. And I know it's given to women and young women all over the United States, 
but there's downside to going on the birth control pill. I know OBGYNs don't like hearing that, but there's downside. And we have to talk with our patients and say, look, here is the downside, you know, and it's not that I wouldn't use a low dose birth control pill on a 21 year old who wants to come in. I get that, you know, because sometimes we have to do that. But anyway, so I've learned a lot. I'm going to share so many things. I've always been in, been in, interested in prevention because I was, I was at high risk. And so I've always into prevention. So fortunately, I found these people that helped me, um, show me how to prevent it and which we'll talk about today. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> That's so interesting. So I've obviously, I, I know you personally. So I've heard the story and it's, it's always so, awesome to hear that it pretty much sculpted you into what you do today, essentially. One thing I didn't know is that you were from Houston, Texas. Right. Did not know that. So I thought you were a Southern California girl your whole life. No, uh, I was but, born in McAllen, Texas and lived in Texas till I was about uh, 21, 20, 22. There you go. You learn something new every day. Um, okay. So, but I like how you ended off with prevention and Lauren, you and I were talking about this before is we, this society, this medical paradigm is not doing a great job at preventing anything. And Dr. Kinley, will you just talk to that a little bit? I, I know that I, I've been to your clinic, obviously you go from human optimization all the way to stage four cancer. And I feel like cancer has become um, really your wheelhouse of just um, knowing so much about the topic. And I would say that uh, cancer is the perfect example of how prevention is just lacking in our paradigm. Would you agree with that? 100%. Um, and, it, and that's in general in medicine. There's nothing proactive, preventive, precise, and personalized about medicine today. It's a very reactive process. We wait till the earthquake happens and then we go, okay, what do we do? Whether it's a heart attack, whether it's cancer. And so we we hear if a patient comes in on the Center for New Medicine side, they're all in like, what do I need to do before I have anything? So those patients are here to not have anything. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, though, Charlie, prevention doesn't sell. OK, right. people right. think I'm fine. I'm working, you know. <laughs> I don't, I don't really need to go get checked, but you know, I see a lot of people every day that the minute before they were diagnosed with cancer felt fine. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> because a lot of times cancer doesn't really have a symptom. It's, it's yeah. a very occult process yeah. and people don't understand that it takes about 10 years to manifest diagnosis in your body, which means you get a scan, you get a CT, you get an ultrasound. And there's the mass, okay? And then in some people, they're stage four and the day before they were fine, okay? And so, and cancer is, you know, exponentially increasing. Let's make a point though, heart disease is still the number one killer, but we prevent that too. We know how to, we have a whole algorithm here for preventing, prevention of heart disease. Uh, But cancer now is number two, yeah. And it's about the statistics say it's one in three, but I think it's probably about one in two people. And so, um, and it's not, you know, before I used to say you had a warranty until you're 40. And I can't say that anymore because I have so many 
30-year-old, 28-year-olds, 32-year-olds, 34, 35, a lot of people less than 40. And the screening methods we have, there are no screening methods for uh, for for patients. Basically, it's a pap smear. Well, that's going to look at cervical cancer, okay? Uh, there's no breast really screening until you get a mammogram at around somewhere between 35 and 40, but maybe, you know, most women start around 40. And we have to be careful with mammograms because mammograms are radiation also. And so we can't start early because we know the earlier you start, the higher risk of cancer you have. And so, you know, thermography started in 1956. And then they go, oh, we don't need that. We have a great new technology mammograms. Well, I always tell people, uh, you have to understand what each methodology does. Thermography looks at vascularity, which is blood supply. Mammogram looks at calcifications. Ultrasound looks at lumps and bumps. The most benign of all those process is the thermogram and the ultrasound. So we should probably in women, because breast cancer is the number one cancer now, that we should start this early screening for women you know, with doing thermography and ultrasound. That's what I do in the practice now if you're younger. Now, if you're older, a lot of my patients really don't like mammogram for lots of different reasons. And so they would prefer doing thermography and ultrasound. So I listen to the needs and wants of my patients. And then we decide together and I tell people the good, bad, and the ugly of everything because they need to have informed consent on everything. A lot of patients come in here and they say, oh, well, the doctor never told me that. And I'm like, well, that is a doctor's job is to tell you everything, everything they know. And then whatever they don't know, look, hear me, let me give you some material stuff to read. Let me give you another website you know, that you can look at. But the latest research shows that all the, you know, preventive measures or the screening methods that we have today are not preventing cancer. That is the bottom line. Because look, for a woman, we have pap and maybe some breast imaging, cologuard or colonoscopy at 45. And then in men, we have PSA, but they don't even do PSA for screening, okay? And so they really don't have any screening methods. Now, blood tests, you know, doctors typically don't do very much blood screening. They'll do a chemistry panel, which looks at your electrolytes, kidney, and liver. They'll do a CBC, which looks at your white count, your hemoglobin, you know, your blood indices. But like patients have low white count and the doctor says, oh, that's fine. Well, no, it's not fine. You know, low white count is a sign that there's something wrong with your immune system. And then they'll do always do a cholesterol level. Well, we know that cholesterol, you need your cholesterol. Lowering cholesterol hasn't helped prevent heart disease or stop the risk and, and the rate of heart attack that we have today. So that's not the problem. Then we have patient doctors don't do hemoglobin A1C or fasting insulins on patients you know, probably 70% of the population has prediabetes or diabetes or encroaching elevated blood sugar. So like we check that on every single person. Doctors don't do C-reactive protein, which is a nonspecific marker for inflammation. Inflammation is the precursor to all diseases. So we just don't have good 
methods at all whatsoever. The patient's got to take charge. I always say today, self-care is the new health care. You've got to take charge. you got to listen to these health podcasts. you got to read. You've got to study. You've got to educate. You've got to be open to everything because, you know, there's 1.2 million PubMed articles per year. 1.2 million. Yep. So you, we are... 20 years behind with that much information going on. And so we, you know, patients, you know, they get lost in the shuffle. There's a protocol for everything, unfortunately. And the protocols are, you know, if you're this age, we don't really do anything, you know, like my nurse went to her doctor and she told me she left early on Friday to tell me that she's going to her doctor for her physical. Okay. And she's like 30 something years old. The doctor didn't touch her, okay, which is how can you be, you know, without touching the patient? She said, well, I want, you know, do you guys do any preventive blood work? She goes, no, not really. And I, and she, so the doctor says, well, do you have fatigue? And she says, yeah, kind of. Have you put on weight? Yeah, she's, she's not really overweight, probably about 10 pounds, but she says, yeah, well, I can order a TSH. (laughs) That's all I can do. So go. Um, here's your TSH blood test. And then, you know, see, she, she, she says it was horrible, deplorable. Okay. And so kind of what you were saying is um, you were saying that people need to start doing their own research, doing all this. What's interesting is most people in Western medicine, not you, obviously, uh, what happens is these people start coming in with questions that those doctors can't answer. And then it turns into like the ego of, of, oh, well, I went to med school. You didn't, you know, that's all quackery. You're a conspiracy theorist. Like, you know, so it gets hard for people from that perspective, which is so important to know that people like you exist who view it as a, a coach and a teammate or a coach and a player. Like, you know, they have to do their work and you can help oversee everything, which is, you know, kind of the point that you're making. Um, one thing I wanted to say as you were talking was, you know, they used to say that uh, detection is prevention, but if you detect something, it was never prevented in the first place, you know? So I feel like they've stopped saying that slogan these days. Uh, Lauren, you and I were talking again before, and we were saying, you know, what is causing this rise in all of this stuff? And and uh, that's a loaded question. We know this, but Dr. Keneally, what would you say the top three things that come to your head when you see cancer uh, rates rising in the last, was it two or three years that statistics that you were looking at, Lauren? Um, it says, the Guardian says cancer cases in under 50s worldwide are up nearly 80% in three decades. And that three was decades. a study that was published in the British Medical Journal Oncology. They blamed it on poor diets, alcohol, tobacco use, physical inactivity, and obesity, which we know are factors. Um, they also don't want to mention, you know, stress and emotional um, part components of it too. There's so much that goes into it. What are your thoughts on prevention? Right. Well, first of all, there is no prevention in really, and if you're in the functional medicine integrative doctors, okay, unless they go and learn um from somewhere like I teach doctors all the time who are any, anyone who will listen <laughs> because this is my, this is my purpose. This is my passion. There's no question. Anybody who'll listen. Okay. 
So I do teach doctors all the time. I wrote a book, the book, in the book, it says everything, the cancer revolution, what to do, what you can do. I mean, so many people have read that book. It's so good. You all, anyone with a diagnosis, like this is, or with a family member or a friend with a diagnosis, it lays it all out of the alternative therapies that are a good jumping off point for you to say, okay, I need to look into this. Right, Um, well, just the blood test. I mean, there's the cancer profile, which is a, a, a blood test for prevention. There's the liquid biopsy. There is the bioenergetic testing. I know people don't know about energy, but you know Einstein says everything is energy. It's not a theory. It's not a philosophy. It's an absolute science. Correct. Uh, and so now people, because now people are getting monitored and they have sensors and all these, and like people don't understand your EKG is an electrical activity. Um, you know, assessment, your EEG is an electrical assessment of your brain. So we, 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 I, I mean, I do see so much more about energy today. So yeah. it's a good thing, but people don't truly understand it. You know, like I know Charlie knows because he does a lot of energy assessment, but I personally um, use energy as my, I tell people energy precedes action. Okay. So if you're going to throw a baseball and a mirror, a lot took place before it crashes, right? So we need to capture that energy of people before they're crashed, right? And we cannot, you know, we we can't wait anymore because the model is not sustainable. We've reached the point of no return of just conventional medicine, okay, for the last 80 years, okay? I always ask all the patients, I go, are people sick or are they healthy? And they always say, well, they're sick. And I said, so, you know, from autism is one in 37. Our young elementary kids, 60% have one or more chronic illnesses. Our teenagers have the highest rate of anxiety, depression, suicide, Our young people are getting diagnosed with cancer early and earlier, earlier. And so obviously it's not working what we're doing. Okay. And so we, as a society have to start with the mother to be, that's how I feel like that's will be my next thing I will do is like how to teach a mother how to have a healthy baby and not just the mother, the father, like the mother and father, they're making an intention to have a healthy baby. Okay. So first of all, they need to get healthy on a, on a spiritual, emotional, physical level, because we're downloading every mother to be is downloading her energy and her brain down to your, you know, baby. So if she's not in the right mental, emotional state, She's going to, that's downloaded to the baby, just like the chemicals, just like the nutrients, just like the hormones, just like everything. So like they know now though, that, you know, if the mother's hormones aren't healthy, she downloads that weakness to the baby. So that's why if you fortify the mother in every single way, and it doesn't take a lot then, and you, you know, it would be beautiful if we created these communities of mommies to be, and they can help each other be the best version that they can be. But that's where we need to start is, uh, you know, I mean, I know because I was, I did not, it was not easy for me to have children. Okay. It was really a 
technological experiment. I'll be honest. Okay. I mean, it's crazy story, but it's, it is what it is. I tell people. And, you know, one day I was dying to have children. I mean, so I know what it's like to have this insatiable desire to have a kid one day. Cause I will, I wasn't on that path. I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to get married and have kids and all that. It wasn't like that. It was just one day I was like, I, I wouldn't have children. And then because it was difficult, because I didn't ovulate and I was trying to do it on my own with an OBGYN and that didn't work. And then I went to infertility specialist and all this kind of stuff. But what my point is, is that I had all this time to plan and it was like, okay, here's the plan for me to have this baby. So luckily I already knew about health and all that, you know, before. And then when I had the babies, it was like, okay, how do I create this beautiful environment for robust, healthy children? Okay. So I read all these books and that's going to be the follow-up to how to have healthy parents and then what do they need to do? Because a lot of people just don't know what to do with the baby. Okay. Meaning, yes, they hold them and they nurse them and all that. But what other inputs do you, should you do? So for me, because I was so fortunate and privileged to have a children, it was like, oh my God, this is the most incredible project I'll ever do in my life. And so, you know, I, I know all the nuances that we formed a group of moms called the better baby moms. And we all shared our ideas. We shared material and all that kind of stuff. We were kind of crazy, but anyway, I mean, in a good way, you know, but, but, but it's important, right? It's important because a baby, you know, they're just like these magical miracles and we have to know how to stimulate that miracle to grow, right? It's just like you're gardening, you know? Okay, what is the soil? What's the environment? They know that if you put music in a garden, it grows better, right? So like I always had the right music. I mean, I mean, I can go on and on and on. But um, anyway, it's just so, it's just so important how we live every single day, you know? Like, and we are just aimlessly living without, you know, intention and without methodology and without guardrails and without like honoring the rules and laws of mother nature of ourself. Yeah. I think that you're seeing that so much today. One thing that you said was about community. And I think that that's something that we've lost so much of, not just in the last three years, but in the last 10, 15, 20 years, where right. it's almost, you're not able to offer advice without offending and then, or to help, even just to help and, and just to be in community or people are too busy that they can't have that time to, to be in community. And that's an important factor in raising children um, and empowering yourself to know the things that I, that I didn't know when I first became a mom, um, but also to prevent cancer because community and connection is a big part of that too. Well, it's a big part of existence of everything of everything so if you look at all the books that are written you know it's that's probably the number one thing is your community and the people you have around you they actually are the most profound energy effects of of all of us okay and 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 like you said it's kind of interesting today you know you'll get you know where these yeah everybody has their diverse opinion okay which is good Okay, but we also need to be cooperative and collaborative with our opinions. Like, why do you think like that? 
and let me hear you out and let me hear. And then we come to some collaborative decision as opposed to like, you're not right. And I'm not right. I mean, like, no, that's not good, but you're, you, that's really happened in the last five years, you know, right. but we have lost the community because I know when I had my kids, my kids, my twins are 29, you know, there was a lot of community, you know, we did, you know, we did Easter egg hunts and all these things together. Right. And like I said, we formed a group called the better baby moms and, you know, women were busy, but we made it a point that we would meet once a month to go over what we can do with our babies, you know? And so, yeah. And, and we didn't, it's interesting. We didn't think about the health effects of the mommies. (laughs) We only thought about the babies, but we didn't, you know, think about how we can restore, we got to restore health to ourselves. Cause I always tell every woman, you know, women have a tendency to put themselves on the back burner, right. For everyone else. But what they have to do is put themselves first. So they are the best for the baby. Yeah. Well, you, and that's a good you, you point. You can't give what you don't have. Are they seeing increased rates of cancer in women and young women more than in young right. men? Yes. And so I think women are more depleted. Yes. You, you are, you're, you're putting everything else first. And I've, I've been there. I've, you know, and I'm not saying it, it's so easy to do because you get so focused on your children. Um, but a healthy mom will lead to a healthy baby and healthy child, a healthy home. And so you are seeing an increase more in women than in men, um, would you say? A lot of women. A lot of these young women, they're they're like, oh, I delivered my baby. And then I felt a breast lump. I mean, that's a, such a common story. Okay. And uh, I do have men, young men that have testicular and I do have men have, you know, lymphomas and stuff. So, uh, you know, brain is dramatically increasing. I mean- yeah. Everything is dramatically increasing in these young people. So it's like the perfect storm, you know, uh, but it's, uh, you know, we're living in the great poisoning, unfortunately, yeah. you know, we look around us, everything for all of us. I mean, we're all in the same boat with, you know, terrible air pollution, water pollution, food pollution, you know, I mean, that thing, you know, even if you eat organic, you know, they did that study with the baby food and all the baby food had heavy metals. So then I read an article they wrote in that fruit juices now, I mean, I don't use fruit juices and I don't tell people, but fruit juices, you know, have heavy metals. Okay. So it's ubiquitous. The problem is ubiquitous. And I do think you brought up stress, you know, stress is such a problem for young people today. I mean, the environment is so intense for these young, uh, young parents, you know, and uh, a lot different than it was a long time ago. And so um, stress is, you know, is an incredible component of illness. We've known that for hundreds of years. It's not something new. In fact, we now know in science that's scientifically published that from in utero to seven is the most profound time of a child. And if they have trauma and drama, everything they're going, it's going to be, you know, a problem as they grow. So one thing um, I want to say before you go on about that is, you know, uh, a few minutes back, you were talking about how heart disease is still number one, cancer number two. And um, my biggest mentor, Dr. Dick Versendahl, and uh, you, someone who you introduced me to, Lee Cowden, Dr. Lee Cowden, and that was his first exposure to muscle testing and frequency medicine 
Versendahl always said that the heart is the queen bee and the heart holds all of your emotions. And so um, I think that there's a big truth to why it is still number one is because, you know, we all, we talk about diet, we talk about exercise, but emotional and mental stress, right? In Chinese medicine, the heart houses the shen, the mind, and it all lives. It's the saying that Versendahl would say is that your brain repeats what your heart doesn't delete. Mm-hmm. And, um, on top of that, all that type of stress, and then looking at cancer rates going up, especially among, among females that have more of a delicate hormonal system than males. Would you say that that is a, a pretty good correlation there between mental emotional stress and the hormone shifting and leading to more of the cancer cases? Right. Well, yes, exactly. Cause a lot of the most common cancer is an estrogen receptor positive. Yep. That's cancer. And so, and I just think it's like the perfect storm with the environment, with the hormones, with the, you know, because look, long time ago, I mean, I grew up with people that had 13 kids. Okay. I'm one of six kids. Okay. Somehow we, you know, did it, but we don't, you know, what the environment that we have today with the stress, with the hormone disruptors in the environment, um, with the demands of everything today, everything's complicated today. You can't just, you know, simply do a task. Everything is like 10 steps instead of just one step now. And, you know, and there, look at all the books that are written now about civilization causing disease. You know, there's one about civilization causing cancer, another one, you know, there's lots of books written on that now. And so we, we need to go, and a lot of people agree, we need to go back about 30 or 40 years (laughs) how we lived a long time ago. And, you know, and we have to also address, you know, the electromagnetic fields that started, you know, about 30 years ago. So if you look how cancer, because I talk, I, 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 you know, I'm always looking, I'm on a quest for the answers. Like what, what is causing all of this disruption, you know? And, and, you know, I, been studying EMFs because my daughter, when she went to eighth grade, we did, and her science experiment was how electromagnetic fields affect a living substance. And she got an award, you know, for that. And so I've been studying this for a long time. And, you know, it's such a, because, you know, we, you said we're electrical magnetic beings and that's an electrical you know, disturbance in us. And we know how that works. Okay. I'm glad you're bringing this up because that's where I was going next is, even if, even if we're, you know, having a stress-free day, we're meditating, we're journaling, we're praying, we're eating organic, we're doing all this, we still live in a sea of Wi-Fi everywhere. And human nat- humans, even though we're genetically the cream of the crop, so to speak, because we're alive today and our ancestors have survived famines and all that type of stuff, we still have never seen such an animal like EMF. And it's a constant distress signal, which constantly changes your cortisol, which then changes your estrogen, which then changes pretty much everything in your system. Um, I even think that EMF is becoming the number one cause of diabetes. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that it's, you know, if you, anyone, I don't know if you guys have read the book, Invisible Rainbow. Oh yeah. Classic. Classic book. I always tell people, if, you know, you want to understand this because you're living in it. So you must no, you must want to know how this affects you. All right. And, 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 you know, um, it's a, he chronicles, you know, illness with the invention of electricity, which you guys know. 
And so, but like you said, it's pervasive in every single thing that we're doing today. And, you know, what is the answer? I mean, because, you know, you don't, everyone's different. Like every human is different and how their body responds to the assault of everything we're dealing with today. And so, but that's why we have to take so many, we have to live differently because we have to live defensively now. And we've got it to, because, you know, you guys, what we're seeing today is, is, is horrific. I mean, this is not normal what we're seeing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And every day, I mean, I am like, uh, and I get these cases that are, you know, unbelievable. What you, you guys can't even comprehend the cases that I see and what goes on and what they've been through and what, uh, you know, because sometimes people don't think about coming to me first. They come to me last. Mm-hmm. And what people need to do is come to me first. I mean, I would love that a patient came and found a functional doctor who can do a workup. I'm trying to create networks of doctors because they're they're reaching out to me to say, okay, can you help me in Arizona? Can you help me here, there, and, you know, all different, pl- you know, Utah. I have several doctors. You know, they don't know what I know. And so I'm trying to teach them you know, how to do this because we just cannot keep allowing these statistics to continue because the doctors, you know, they're not saying anything, which is how could that be? How can the doctors not be ringing the alarm button? I don't under, I do, but how come other doctors aren't? They're seeing it because my patients tell me. Well, I think they're also being told that we're winning the war. They're saying, oh, well, prostate cancer, they'll see certain statistics like that study I quoted. There was there was a couple good uh, shining lights that they will quote, but it doesn't show the full picture of cancer today. And I think that honestly, I don't think doctors are I think they're too busy to look it up for themselves. And they just have to see so many patients because they have to build insurance will or their employer will give them their bonus if they see so many patients in a day. And I've been there. And it's hard because it's like you're so tired. You get home, you still have to chart. They don't have time to research things. And so that is where I feel like you really have to, something has to happen to their loved one or themselves for them to open their eyes and start asking questions. Um, and I think that's really when we're going to start seeing a change when we have more doctors asking questions, because there is no, I, I don't think they, I literally, I don't think that they think that we are losing the war against cancer. I think that they think we're doing everything we can. Well, they use the, the saying, the new normal. I can't stand when I hear that. Yeah, the, well, it's they're the new normalizing normal. illness. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, we have a very famous cancer institution here that just built a billion dollar facility. Okay. They did their own homework to see what the needs were. And they said in the next five years, there's a 30% increase in what we have now. Jeez. They didn't talk about, oh, we're preventing cancer or anything, because how would they build a billion-dollar facility? Correct. Okay. So, but, you know, so they're not interested in prevention. Okay. So, and we as a society should be looking at the statistics for cancer, for autism, you know, childhood, I mean, all this, because why would a child, I mean, I know when I grew up, I'm a lot older than you guys. When I grew up, you guys, in elementary school, 
Not one child was obese. Not one child had diabetes. Not one child had cancer. No one had AD. No one had anything, guys. And if you ask any 60-plus-year-old, they'll tell you that no one had these problems, okay? So why why aren't we saying, why is this a problem? I mean, why aren't all these 60-year-old people saying, you know, besides me, there's got to be more people sounding the alarm bell. And, you know, we should be saying, how aren't we going to prevent this? I have a good friend of mine. Um, she works in the autism, uh, you know, um, whatever. You well, know, she doesn't have children herself, but she's a philanthropist. And I told her, I said, look, why don't you go to your board and tell them we've got to prevent autism? Because this is ridiculous to be talking about autism and how we're going to take care of it. First of all, is there a drug for autism? No. There's no drug for autism. Is there a drug for dementia? No. Is there a drug for fatty liver? No. So obviously we've reached the point of no return. We have to go back to the basics of how people live every day and when people are out of order living their daily existence. Yeah. yeah. The, f- the further we get thing. from nature, the sicker we'll always be. Yeah. Yes. And if, if we do start to do that, like if we, if we talking about actionable steps, if we do start to do that, that actually can prevent more than one thing, not just cancer, because it's all connected. Yes. The whole body it's all is connected. connected. Yeah, because a label is just a description of the disorder and disorganization of your body. Okay. And so and they're like you said, they're all it's all interconnected. Okay. So if you have a blood sugar problem, all your cells are being damaged. Okay. Every cell is being damaged. Okay. And that's probably I would say, you know, for every person, blood sugar is probably one of the biggest things that we're dealing with, right, is metabolic disorder. And, um, and you know, we're allowing lunch boxes to be sold in, I mean, not sold, that's the, that's the school lunch, is a lunchbox. I'm like, what? This is, not the lunchbox, but what's it called? The, the lunchables. lunchables. Lunchables, thank you. Yeah. Lunchables. Just a bunch okay. of processed stuff. I mean, it's yeah. all processed. Yeah. Chemical, processed, sugary stuff. So, and I'm like, how is this even allowed knowing what we know, the books, the amount of food books they're on? It's none of the food books, none of the cooking books say use a Lunchable, okay? Nothing. Where do you see that, okay? And what book do you see that you can just eat anything you want? I mean, if you look back at the diet books, I don't know, you guys remember Scarsdale Diet, you know, he was very well-known doctor and up in East Coast, New York. I mean, and then look at that other guy, the Atkins, okay? You know, it was just get off sugar, you know, basically. All of them kind of say the same thing, you know, is get off the high-dose sugar and high-dose carbs and eat, just eat real food. Just eat, eat real, real food. food. Eat real food would be a great concept. So, you know, we and every doctor, guys, knows that the system is broken, okay? Every doctor. But like you said, Lauren, is that they're so busy clicking, clicking, clicking on a computer and they've got to catch up and they're just spent themselves. So for them to go learn in what I see in my young patients, though, so I see a lot of hope for the youth. Okay, I really do. I have all these young people who are 30 and they've been diagnosed with cancer and they're changing their whole family because I tell people this isn't about you. This is about your whole family. I tell every patient that. Every patient in the family needs to be good, healthy, because I always tell people like I'm connected to you. I'm directly connected to you because and if you have a problem, it's my problem, too. Mm -hmm. 
So and you went back to community. That's why we've got to create healthy community because we're all in, indirectly and directly connected to one another. So we've got to help each other be the best version of ourselves. I do that here at my office. If I have a staff, like my scribe, she wants to be a doctor. And I said, look, you need to learn everything. You need to learn what you're going to learn in medical school, but you need to learn what we're doing here. And I mean, she agrees. Okay. But, you know, unfortunately they're, you know, everyone's indoctrinated certain ways. Mm -hmm. And so, and I go, you need to learn what we're doing here and learn uh, what you need to impart to a patient one day. Because, you know, all of this to me is, is very obvious. We're always looking for the cure. You know, I'm like, no, you are the cure. Yes. You are the cure. Right. So, but I do see that, like, look, we have to look at the positive things. Okay. The positive saying things are, there's all these health podcasts, like what you're doing, what Charlie's doing. There are, okay. More people are getting into health. Right. So, um, and, and so I, and I do see in my young patients, they're trying to change the trajectory. I had a brand new patient yesterday and, um, it was a mother and father, they came with their daughter. The mother was the one that was sick with a glioblastoma, which is brain cancer. But the daughter did her degree and she was in hospital administration. Okay. She came in with her baby who's nine months old. So I was talking to her, how, what is she doing and everything? Well, she's doing everything natural and everything. So I was so inspired because I'm like, you have learned everything, what you need to learn and you're imparting it to your baby and everything else. So I do see see glimpses of hope. I do believe that we all have to be dedicated to the transformation of health and healthcare and humanity. I mean, we all have to, and we all have to like put out every day, everything you possibly can to humanity. We just all have to scream it out to the world. Okay. Because we, we have to change. We have to change the way, the trajectory of humanity. That's really what we're talking about. Yeah. And we got We got to all be in it together. And, yes. and, and yeah, together and not against each other and assuming the best and being open-minded. Um, yes. and I think that's, you know, a couple of little notes from what we were talking about. Conventional medicine is actually being informed of the risks and benefits of things. And then also, um, of being open-minded and just keeping in mind about you, the person that you're talking to, um, or the person that you're seeing online or whatever it is, just keeping an open mind and saying, I'm going to go research this for myself and empowering yourself with knowledge. I would love to highlight some of the different things that you do at your clinic because you do some really cool things at your clinic. And I think that people need to know that like there are other options for, I mean, not it's for traditional treatment of cancer, but you do it in a different way. Right. Well, first of all, people need to understand that I'm a medical doctor, number one. Number two, I combine the best of conventional Western medicine. So I do blood work and scans and I do specialty blood tests, all kinds of things that any doctor would order. I order PET scans. I order all different kinds of, depending on what the patient needs. But then my treatment plan is maybe will be different. Okay. 
And so um, some of our patients come in already knowing how to eat. So I evaluate that and decide. We always do a lifestyle assessment of every patient. How do you sleep? How much water do you drink? What do you eat? What is your dental? Like doctors forget about the mouth. So we do a dental assessment of do they have mercury fillings and root canals and dental disease because your mouth is the gateway to the rest of your body. And then we always address stress with every single person. And we, every patient need, has to do evox, which is vox is a Latin word for voice. And so you start talking and your brain is put it, you know, imprinted on a computer and it shows like what the patient is struggling with. And so, and it's fast because we want to get the patient better faster. So we do that. Okay. And then, um, and then our treatments, you know, like we use all kinds of IV. So we do IV vitamin C. We know that the outcomes of patients are much better when patients get IV vitamin C. And that not just for cancer, but for if I have a patient going to have surgery, I give it to them. If they're going to have plastic surgery, I give it to them because IVC, intravenous vitamin C helps the immune system function. It's vitamin C is the antidote for everything, honestly, for heavy metals, for toxins, et cetera. Anyway, and then um, we do all kinds of energy treatments. Everything is to raise the body's energy. If you're here, we want to raise it up to here because the we, we've got to get the body working for the patient, okay? And obviously, if the body is working, if not, you know, if they have a disease, we know it's not working, okay? So we got to sort out. So we do a nutritional assessment on everybody. We do a heavy metal assessment on everybody, um, we do something called bioenergetic testing. You have acupuncture points on your fingers and toes that correspond to every organ in your body. And I always tell people every organ is like a wire or a string of pearls to an organ or gland. So we look at the interference fields of the body. So is it toxicity? Is it heavy metals? Is it stress? And we can tell all those things. Is it yeast? Is it parasites? Because most people have yeast. Let's face it, fungus among us, you know. Um, and then most people have parasites. Unfortunately, a lot of doctors in the U.S. don't know how to treat parasites because um, they think that you live in the United States. Well, no, you, you know, parasites are pervasive all over the world and they're very hard to detect in a stool testing. That's why we do bioenergetic testing on that. Um, then we use pulsed electromagnetic field to raise the vibration. We check the voltage of every single person uh, because voltage is energy. And if you guys don't know about that, that it's a phenomenal thing that, you know, is relatively new in, a, in the assessment of a patient. Um, we use oxygen treatments. We do hyperbaric. We do CBAC. Now, we do do chemotherapy here. So, you know, if a patient comes in with stage four cancer, they're going to need chemotherapy. You know, a lot of patients go, oh, I want to do everything natural. Well, you know, I'd like to do everything natural on a patient, okay? But sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes medication, we use repurposed drugs. There's 310 drugs that starve cancer. We may have to use repurposed drugs on the patient. We may have to do chemotherapy, but the way we do it is we do, it's called fractionated chemotherapy because we know cancer cells like sugar, right? They have more receptor sites for sugar. So we give insulin to prime the cancer cell and bring the blood sugar down to what they call the therapeutic moment. And then we give the chemotherapy along with natural things because we know that chemotherapy is damaging. So we give natural things so the patient isn't damaged by the chemotherapy. And then we usually use laser intravenously with curcumin 
because curcumin is also anti-cancer, right? And also regenerative and helpful for many things. And so, um, and then the day after they get chemotherapy, we give them a special IV to cleanse their liver because everything went through the liver, right? And so we don't want the patient to feel bad. So we have all these collateral supportive approach. If we give a drug, here's what you do, right? You want to protect your, your job as a physician is to protect your patient, right? That's what you should be doing. Teach them and protect them, right? So all of our systems here are to, to get the patient, restore the patient, patient's functionality of their body, whether it's stress, whether it's nutrition, whether it's detoxification, whether it's getting rid of heavy metals, like all the bugs I talked about, because we have to get rid of all the things that are causing their problems. Cancer isn't just give chemotherapy and you're done. If you look in the literature, how viruses contribute to cancer, how candida contributes to cancer, how parasites contribute to cancer, how heavy metals. That's why I never understand how a doctor is just giving chemotherapy without examining the patient inside and outside to understand what is causing this earthquake. Yep. Amen. So I love that. I love that whole body approach. Every single thing is assessed and addressed if needed. And it can't because where if the body has developed cancer, we need to know why. So it doesn't happen again. Um, And so this is really preventing recurrence too, right. Or going after it. So we, we change the terrain of the body. We make it more resilient and less susceptible to disease. That is correct. And that is where conventional medicine just doesn't get it because they, they just don't see the body as a whole. I worked where, you know, you refer to GI for this, you refer to neurology for this and you just, it's all disconnected and it's. Yeah. And then the patient gets lost and overwhelmed in the shuffle. Yep. And they're on 15 different meds and no one's talking to each other. And it's, yeah. So you're not talking about the mitochondrial dysfunction with every drug. Okay. You're not talking about the nutritional deficiencies that every drug causes. And so it's, it's just a disaster. It is. It is. And I love that you are doing things different. You are really a pioneer in all of that because you've been doing this for 37 years, 37 years. Um, and we are so thankful for all that you have done in this work, um, and the business and the, the big center that you have built. I, I say this to anyone who asks about cancer on my page. I say, please go see, have them go see Dr. Keneally, because that is exactly where I would be if I had a cancer diagnosis or my child or my parent, anybody, um, because that is, um, you all do the, the, the do it the right way. Yes. Yes, we do for sure. thank you so much lauren and charlie i so appreciate your endeavors and your you know mission to change you know healthcare because uh we have to do it together we've got to help each other do this no doubt thank you so much for coming on it was awesome catching back up with you it's been a minute yeah thank you charlie i appreciate it and lauren you're just as beautiful as ever oh (laughs) thank you dr i could say definitely say the same about you oh my goodness you are a picture of health, and I know that it is so good to see that. Um, and a doctor that works really hard, you also, uh, you really focus on foundations too. Um, right, and, and I live it. it. And yeah. I live it too, you guys, because I've had to live it because of all the detours and curveballs. And so 
Um, I want patients to understand it's not like I'm exempt. I have to live the same thing that I I'm teaching all the patients. So, and you see that on social media, you're like, get in the stand, get, go, go be outside on your lunch break. Those, those little moments, take what you can get and do what you can do with what you've been dealt. Um, and so, yep. All right. Well, you guys have a beautiful day and thank you for being part of my life journey. Oh, thanks for being on here with us and thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll see y'all on the next one.